0: Hello and welcome to Relationship Rescue, the podcast. Every relationship begins with you. Ah, today is going to be another great day here at Relationship Rescue, the podcast. Because today we're going to talk about toxic shame. And um, basically any person that is trapped within childhood wounding, Um, attachment styles that are creating discord and wreaking havoc in their romantic relationships and every relationship they actually have. This includes codependency. This definitely includes narcissism, borderline personality disorder. We all are all seeped in and have some level of what is called toxic shame, right? And so what toxic shame does is it causes um, addictions, how, how how could you, let me define an addiction for you, um, and this this definition one was one, and I can't remember the the lady um, in one of my books I read this years ago. It was her definition of um, addiction, and she said, "Any process used to avoid or take away intolerable reality," and that is what we do when we grow up in families that are seeped in chaos, dysfunction, abuse, or all three, right? So I say, whenever I say, by the way, you guys, and or abuse, if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, there's going to be chaos and there's going to be dysfunction. And which means at some level, yes, there will be mental abuse and emotional abuse because your emotions will be emotionally abused right mentally abused and which turns into that mental abuse but not all homes are physical or sexual abuse obviously um so but the dysfunctional chaotic home creates just as much discord as the physically abusive home okay the sexual abuse is something that's a whole other level but I just wanted to kind of, you know, um, point that out in case you're one of those people that comes from um, always wondering, well, I wasn't abused. Emotional and verbal abuse, emotional abuse equals mental abuse, verbal abuse equals mental emotional abuse, and then it all comes to mental abuse. Bottom line is, is it doesn't matter really whether it was physical or just dysfunction, chaos, mental, whatever. We all come to, to adulthood with a backpack, and in that backpack is filled with all those limiting beliefs that we got tied with those different emotions from all of those different experiences each one of us lived. But the bottom line is, no matter what my background was, childhood, yours, or anyone else's, we're all living the same life, essentially trying to heal those wounds. And the biggest wound we all have come with Um, that we left there with is toxic shame and so when we are shame based it is intolerable pain right so with physical pain there's you know there's moments of relief there's a hope right of being you know kind of cured or whatever but when we have this inner rupture, like think about it there's there's a huge water leak inside gas leak or whatever you want to think about inside of you a blood leak i don't know but and it's running rampant inside of you which is the toxic shame it's chronic and your authentic self is gone and now what happens is this there's no hope for a cure because you are defective see shame based people think they're defective I thought I was defective most everybody that has narcissism definitely thinks they're defective. BPD thinks they're defective. Codependents think they're defective. We think we're not good enough. That's what, what I always call that one limiting belief. The universal self-limiting belief is I am not good enough. And toxic shame people believe I am not good enough. Who I am is not okay. And that shame says you have no relationship with yourself, let alone anyone else. You are totally alone. You are in solitary confinement and you are in chronic grief and you're trying to figure out how the world cannot find out that you are not good enough, right? So what we do is when we're in this chronic pain, we're looking for coping mechanisms and things that can deny, right, um, that we're less than, that we're not good enough, so what, what is what what does that do? So it's basically um, we want to feel good. And what does an addiction do? It takes away the pain temporarily. Okay. So the addiction hides the shame and it, ha- it, it enhances it at the same time. See, the shame fuels the addiction. But then what happens when we're when you know we, we're done drinking, we're done chopping, we're done whatever it is. Well, this pain comes back and then it fuels it. What do we do? We go again, we drink again, whatever it is, right? So if you look at alcohol, it's a behavior stimulant. What does it do? It lowers the inhibition, right? So it's a mind-altering chemical, and it also affects your body chemistry, the, your nutrition's, the nutritions in your body over a long period of time. And what does that do it, it, it continuously it's fueling your addiction and it's killing you at the same time and people with toxic shame on some way whether it's unhealthy relationships eating disorders we're going to go into a few of them today find some sort of addiction that keeps feeding the toxic shame and killing themselves in some way at the same time right and so if you look at food addictions right it, it's it's the, the, you know usually you have the obese the obesity um anorexia bulimia um there's also um binge eating okay and when when you're when you're doing these things what's happening you're self-indulging and you're abusing right and so you're consistently what what, what was happening in your life before as a as a during childhood well you're getting abused and god forbid you actually indulge in anything if you did indulge in anything why were you indulging in it well that 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 would have fueled an addiction to feel good right because of whatever the dysfunction the chaos or the abuse was going on at home and we just learned to put these things these addictions into people food alcohol drugs so many so many different things right if you look at dieting Right? So what is it? 90% of people that diet gain the weight back in what, I don't even know, five years or something. And it's it's such a paradoxical aspect of toxic shame. You're um you're you feel like you're controlling something and you're fixing the problem, you know, but you're not. And you go right back to what? Back to gaining it all back. It's like literally think about it like this control. Is one of the most major ways, strategies of covering up shame. Control, 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 control. See all the layers of the cover up um, of who we really are, trying to cover up who we really are. Because if people find out we're not good enough, uh oh, we're in trouble. So we need to control our outside world so our inside won't be exposed to the outside. Right? So look at like a grandiose narcissist. They're either the best or they're going to be the best at being the worst. So they have to be the best. They have to have the best. They have to have the, everything has to be the best, right? Well, with toxic shame, you are either like same thing, almost super achieving or you're underachieving. You're not, you're, there's not a lot of in between. So we're consistently and constantly trying to hide that in coping mechanisms and addictions help us do that. So the answer for an addiction, and anybody that's been in AA or anybody that's, you know, really kicked an addiction knows that it's not about trying to control the addiction. The answer is to just be aware that we're powerless. It's become unmanageable. We have to surrender to it, right? Surrendering means, you know, facing up to the fact that we can't control it because that's why it's an addiction. And it's the same thing with people in unhealthy, toxic relationships who continuously keep repeating the same patterns in a relationship, continuously having the same triggered reactions, going to the same places. You have to admit you are powerless over yourself and that relationship any longer. You have no control. And you keep trying to control your partner in order to control the relationship and in order to control them from not finding out how flawed you really are because then they would leave you right well you have to surrender yourself to the wounding that says i'm not good enough who i am is not okay and say you know what actually who i am is amazing i am perfect i am loving i am these things because then and only then will you stop looking for others to give you those things because you're giving them to yourself but you will gladly Exchange love and care and joy and peace and honesty and all of the greatest things, respect and connection and and all of it with another who also gives it to you because they're not looking for you to give it to them. Instead, we're taking two people filled with toxic shame, putting them together in a relationship and saying, oh, I wonder why this doesn't work. Because we're shame-based people trying to hide our truth, authentic selves from each other. And in turn, we are nothing but a pattern of triggered reactions that work against a relationship. And so until you can surrender to the fact that, guess what? The way I've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years isn't working. I need to figure that out. You're going to stay stuck in the relationship addictions and the toxic relationship patterns. And that's what that is, right? It's a toxic relationship pattern. Narcissists are filled with toxic shame more than anybody. But one thing about the narcissist that they cannot do, and this is why it's harder for narcissists to change, and most do not, because to in order to change, in order to surrender to anything, you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm not perfect, and it's okay. And for a narcissist to do that, it's really, really difficult. They can't. They will continue to blame it on other people. You know, one of the most, um, so anorexia, let's talk about anorexia for a second, because this is, I've been reading, you know, you guys know me, I'm studying, I'm reading all the time. I, I, I I believe in my work so much. And I believe that my job is to always learn more, always to study, always to find new ways to teach, always to find new research out there, right? Because Otherwise, I'm not doing the best job I can for you, and my job is to do the best that I can do for you. So I was reading recently about anorexics, and you know that anorexia is most common in affluent family with daughters between the ages of 13 to 25. It's almost an epidemic in some affluent private schools. Now, here's what's interesting is that anorexics, they say, most often come from families that are dominated by what? perfectionism. Affluent families are often focused on what? Self-image. So the respectability and the upper class have a very special what? Look and image to keep up. So now these following patterns kind of predominate the, the, the home environment. Perfectionism, non-expression of feelings, do not talk about it, a controlling, often um, a rigid father, an obsessive mother, um, completely out of touch with her sadness and anger. The mother's like living in, possibly with a grandiose narcissist, right? Um, so there's this pseudo-intimate marriage going on with a great pretense of what? Looking good. So there's this great fear of being out of control in that whole family system. And that. so now we've got a lot of enmeshment, cross-generational alliances, all of these things. And so the anorexic person basically takes control of the family with her her starving and her weight loss. It's a metaphor for what? What's that a metaphor? It's a metaphor for everything that's wrong in the family. This young woman is, you know, rigidly controlled, denying her feelings, is super achieving, you know, encrusted and meshed with everybody and everything. And so if you, when think about that. Just think about that. That's, so when a, when a young girl becomes anorexic anorexic and stops eating and and you know taking care of her body and near dying that's how much her family home is affecting her Stop thinking if you do that childhood dysfunction chaos and abuse have nothing to do with the choices you're making and the things you're doing and the patterns you're living today. It has everything to do with it. And if you healed, good for you. And there are people that, yes, do come from secure households. Absolutely. 100%, right? That don't have all of, you know, these issues that everybody has something. But Technically, if you came from dysfunction and chaos, stop denying that you came from dysfunction, chaos, and abuse. If you can look at your life and say, wow, my relationships are not that very good. I do keep going from one healthy relation to, to another. My family is nothing but toxic dis- shame and dysfunction everywhere. Stop denying it. Because the only thing denial does is keep you stuck in it and i know what denial is denial is by the way a coping mechanism of many people from toxic families because here's the thing if we deny it we don't have to let it into our conscious awareness because if we allow it into our conscious awareness that means we have to, we're most likely going to have to lose something a relationship that's the biggest thing you know we're going to have to do work things are it's going to be made uncomfortable so why not de- deny it right so that's a big that's a big Um, coping mechanism in people that come from chaos chaos and dysfunction and abuse we deny we deny we deny we deny what we see is in front of us right um you know in another way toxic shame is covered up it's through um you know we're acting out we're acting in right we're we're repeating early abusive trauma in relationships we're being some people become that criminal um see because what happens is when our emotions are shamed during childhood, they're repressed, but we eventually have to externalize them. And we do, but we do externalize them in all the wrong ways, right? Where healing is actually externalization of the internalized shame, but it comes at a healthy externalization, not an externalization through basically returning to the crime of the scene of childhood, but by, this time by repeating it with a partner that reflects and makes us feel like we are in that old pattern from childhood. So now, uh, how, how does it keep us stuck? How does shame keep us stuck here? Well, it spirals by that um, internal self-talk, right? So the, the, the inner, inner critic, the inner talk is based on those old beliefs we have about ourselves in the world. And these, these beliefs were fostered by who? Well, our shame-based caregivers, our parents, whoever else, right? So now those, those, the, those voices are they're parental voices that become our own inner critic and they play like recordings in our head you know i've talked about it before i know so much about transactional analysis now and and when i'm talking to people i can hear the inner critic when their parents is coming out i can hear when the inner child is coming out it's so obvious to me i know when my inner critic is talking like when that you know it was my dad I know that. And you know what's interesting is I finally years and years and years and years ago, I named my inner critic Freddy Krueger. You know Freddy Krueger, right? Freddy, so if you're old enough to watch, uh, what was that called? Oh my God, Freddy Krueger was Nightmare on Elm Street. And he would come into the nightmares and basically kill you or, you know, wreck your life. So my inner critic, my inner voice, I named Freddy. Because that inner critic, that inner voice was killing me. It was killing my life. And so... I would literally say, no, 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 Freddie. Not today. Not today, Freddie. I'm not listening to that bullshit today. Take a hike. I got this, right? Now, on a really bad day, Freddie could take control. He could take control of my life and every choice I made, the energy I put out, the way I treated people, my reactions. But guess what? I learned through healing to silence Freddie. I haven't talked to Freddie in a long time, actually. Yeah, Freddie in that damn tattered, tattered sweater. Oh, my God, if you saw that movie. <laughs> those were like the good old days, right? Like the the best horror movies were, were the days of Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween and um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Jason. Oh, my God. Anyways, I shouldn't be talking about those people. They were, oh, by the way, <laughs> those were all really shame-based characters. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I shouldn't laugh, but they were—they were really shame-based characters. So, anyways, so what happens though when we're in this our, our our households and we're growing up with these dysfunctional, chaotic, you know, caregivers that are shameless? Okay, so that's shameless. They're shameless by their raging, they're condemning, they're criticizing, they're judgmental. We take on their shame that they're avoiding. So our caregivers essentially dump their shame onto freaking us. So now we're carrying our parents' shame as our own. And your job is to stop and to not pass that shame on to your children. And that's called generational toxic shame, right? And you have to stop carrying their shame and you have to stop passing it on to your children. So, you know, most shame-paced people feel ashamed when they need help, when they're angry, when they're sad, when they're fearful, when they're joyous, you know, Why? Because that part of us has been split off, right? We try to act like we're not needy. We pretend we don't feel like what we actually think, you know, right? Um, How many times have you said, I'm fine when you're not, when you're sad or you're hurting, you know? Or you use sexuality to avoid all your feelings, your needs. Basically, what we're doing is we're, we're cut off from the vital parts of ourselves is the problem, and these disowned parts, you know, are most commonly in our dreams, and our projections. And you have to understand that you're allowed to be the person you're meant to be, which is more than good enough, which is amazing, which is beautiful, which is talented, which is just perfect, which is none of the things that you were taught to believe. So it's about confronting and changing the inner toxic voices, healing the toxic shame, right? Looking at yourself and saying, I deserve better. My children deserve better. My partner deserves better. My spouse deserves better. But mostly, I deserve better. Because when you can put yourself in that place of I deserve better, that means you're going to heal yourself. And then automatically, you do better. And, it, and everybody around you benefits and heals a little bit more themselves right and it's not easy i'm not going to say it's easy it's not but you know um, one of the thi- the you know i've been doing a lot of i uh, did the the series on narcissism and borderline personality disorder and stuff and those are severely toxic shame based people and it's very very difficult for them to face their toxic shame because they are so filled with it and they will not allow themselves to see who they really are because all they've done is attach themselves to that illusion that they have created. So what that means is that they've created this illusion, narcissist, of perfectionism when they're really not and they know that but they won't say it. So they continue to look at the illusion that says, well, what's wrong with me? Instead of, see you and I would look in the mirror when we're ready to say I'm done and be able to see, "Okay." I've been controlling. I have I've done these things. i I'm going to give myself grace. I'm going to forgive myself for this cuz I know that's not who really I, who I really am. And we actually acknowledge the hurts that we have, you know, done that we to others and to ourselves. But a narcissist can't acknowledge what they've done to others because they are so they are, they are betting on their illusion All the time, which is that face, that mask that they created, which we all create. But narcissists are are attached to it. It's super glued to them. We that are not narcissists can detach from it. We can do it. We can. It's very difficult for a narcissist to detach from the mask and the illusion they created. Because to do so would mean to what? To admit that they're flawed. And that is the one thing they cannot do is admit they're flawed, right? That's why it's super hard. Can a narcissist heal? Can they heal? Yes, absolutely. There's three things that anybody needs for healing. One, it has to become harder to change than stay the same, bottom line. It has to be harder to stay the same than change. That's the number one thing that has to happen. Number two, the person has to stop blaming everybody else. They are no longer can no longer be a victim and they have to look in the mirror. That's number two. So number one, again, it has to become harder to stay the same than change. Number two, blame has to disappear. No more blame, no more victimhood. And number three, and this is what I've seen over and over again, there has to be a belief in a higher power. There does. They have to have faith in something else that's bigger than them because healing isn't easy so they have to have faith that they are loved they are forgiven they are whatever they need but faith in god oh my gosh huge huge part of it so yes a narcissist can heal yes they can but here's the thing if you look at the percentage of narcissists that have actually healed it's probably going to be such a small amount, I can't say if it's 1% or less than 1%, or maybe it's 2%, but it's low. So before like, so before you start messaging me, emailing me, saying, oh, I was a narcissist, narcissists can't heal, you shouldn't say that, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, you, you, your narcissist didn't heal the person you know, and you're right. M- nine out of 10 of them, I guess I would say, no, they can't. There is Yes, there is a small percentage, but those three things that I just said have to happen. And for a narcissist to do that, it's almost impossible. But there is hope, always. But the first thing that has to happen is it has to truly be harder for them to stay the same than change. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Rescue Podcast. Every relationship begins with you. Have a great day, evening, wherever you are. Stay tuned because more is to come.